line by line it was written. Hope in every sentence. He was good, start to finish, yes he was. In the words that usher his presence and tell of the glories of heaven as the earth still shakes at the mention, yes it does. And there is good news for the broken, for the hurting, there is good news. He came for you in your hoping, in your searching, there is good, good news that one thing remains true. Jesus is still our good news. Welcome to Cross Point as we celebrate Easter together. And, uh, and I wanted to extend, I want to extend a welcome to you if you're with us online or if you're at one of our locations across Middle Tennessee. Our heart and our desire is to be a place where everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, anything is possible. And there is an ancient tradition that goes back to the fifth century where it's a call and response. And on Easter, we would say Christ is risen, and then the response is he is risen indeed. So let's, let's go for that across all of our campuses, across Middle Tennessee, together. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And one more time, I want you to give it everything you've got. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. And we believe that God has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, and that is true, which means that anything is possible in your life and what God would wanna do in your story. And so we're glad that you're with us. And there's one thing that we pretty much all have in common today. Um, we all have um, a seat, unless you're standing in overflow. And, uh, and, uh, and we're working, the team's working to, to try to provide a seat for you. And I don't know how you got in the seat that you're in today. Maybe, um, maybe you had a, a friend that invited you or maybe they bribed you. Maybe they told you they'd take you to a real nice place where they cook in front of you afterwards, the Waffle House. And, and so <laughs> you, you went along with that. Maybe you're with your family and you don't really feel like you got a choice. Or maybe you went on Google and you looked up church and found your way one of our locations, or, or I'll just say, I don't know if you chose your seat or maybe your seat chose you. Maybe somebody told you where you were going to sit today, but here's what I believe. I believe that it's not an accident that you're here. I believe that the God of all creation has you here on purpose and that there's a conversation that he wants to have with you. And so I wanna invite you in just a simple prayer. Say, God, would you speak to me today? Now, you know my life, you know my story. Would you speak to me, and I believe he wants to have a conversation. I believe that there is good news for the person that's sitting in your seat, that there is a good news message that he has for you, and I do know that we're in desperate need of good news right now. I mean, we live in a bad news world. Um, I've got an app on my phone. It's got a little uh, Twitter bird on it, and I can just push that button, and there's plenty of bad news. It's like a bad news app. It just lets me know about the bad news in the world. We can look at our news feed. We can look we can look at the news online, we can survey the landscape of our world and we just see that we live in a broken, fallen world where things are not as they should be, where there is evil and there is injustice and there is brokenness and there's violence and there's racism. We look around the world and we see that our world is broken. There's plenty of bad news, but I wanna give you some good news today and I wanna give you a hope-filled framework by which you can see the world. And we're gonna talk about that good news, but if we just meeting, um, I mean, if you're new and we've never had a chance to meet, my name is Kevin. And I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, let me introduce my family to you. This is, uh, this is my beautiful wife, Ree. 
on the screen and my, uh, my four amazing, we have four amazing kids, Raleigh, Camden, Durham, and Bolton. This is a picture of our family it was taken at a Braves game that we went to a, uh, a few years back. And uh, we love going to Braves games. We don't get to go to that many Braves games since we live in Nashville, but, um, but we're from Atlanta. And, uh, and so any chance we get to go back, I mean, we love, the only thing we love more than going to Braves games are um, free Braves tickets to Braves games. Like that is just, and that's not me asking for free tickets. I'm just letting you know, we love, we love going to Braves games. And so when my son Bolton, he's the biggest Braves fan out of all of us, it's Bolton and then my wife, Ree. But Bolton is the biggest Braves fan. So on his 12th birthday, I was thinking, man, what can we, what can we do? And, uh, and so we, uh, we planned a trip. Uh, and I was gonna take just him down to the Braves game. And so I, since we don't get to go that many games, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna splurge. I'm gonna get the best tickets I can get. And so we got third row behind the Braves dugout. It was amazing. We got there early, early enough for him to see uh, his favorite Braves player, uh, Dansby Swanson, who no longer plays with the Braves, got traded, he's at the Cubs. And, uh, and we can talk later about that. That's a whole nother message series coming up later. But, <laughs> but, but for that game, Dansby was playing for the Braves. And, and, and so we got word, to, to Dansby and, uh, and he actually gave Bolton a ball. He gave him a, uh, gave, gave him a ball and this ball says, to Bolton, God bless, stay true to who God made you to be. Dansby Swanson, and so Bolton, he tossed this ball to Bolton, and Bolton's like, his eyes got real big, and he's holding on that ball, and he's holding that ball, and he looks over at me, and he's like, Dad, I'm so happy. He said, this is the best day, I'm so happy, and I'm sitting there in that moment, I'm going, I'm so happy too. I was like, I mean, I, I, I'm gonna tell you, like in that moment, I felt like the best dad ever. I, I really did. I mean, I was like, I felt like, I felt like this is the best day and I felt so happy too. I was like, the only thing that would make me happier right now are cheeseburgers. <laughs> and so I go, and so I told Bolton, I said, hey, wait right here. And it was like the second inning. I said, wait right here. I'm gonna go get some cheeseburgers and I'll be right back. And so I got up and I went and got these, uh, these amazing cheeseburgers and they're so good. There was a long line and it took me longer than I expected. And it was 15, 20 minutes before I got them. And when I came back to our seats, I went back to our seats and I saw that Bolton wasn't sitting in our seats, but that there were two strangers that were sitting in our seats. And so then I checked the tickets and I'm like, am I in the right section? Am I in the right? And sure enough, there were two strangers that were sitting there. And in that moment, I began to panic. And that moment, I had one thought, what is my wife gonna do? No, that was there. What will we do? I mean, there was this panic. I, that's not what I thought. I thought, where, where is where's Bolton? And so I just, I, in that moment, I began to panic. I began to be frantic. I began to look around and I'm looking around the entire stadium and I'm going, how am I gonna find my son? And I began to walk up and down the aisle looking for Bolton. And then I get a phone call from a number that I don't recognize. And I open up, I open up, I answer the call. And they said, is this Mr. Queen? I said, yes, this, is this Kevin Queen? I said, this is Kevin Queen. They said, Mr. Queen, we have good news. We have Bolton at guest services. In that moment, I had a lot of questions going through my mind. But it was good news because I knew where my son was. That was a good news call. I'm glad I didn't screen that call. I'm glad I answered that call. That is a good news call. Now that word good, that phrase good news actually is found in the Bible. The word good news, the Greek word for good news is translated in our Bibles as gospel in the New Testament. 
That word gospel means good news. So every time you hear gospel, maybe you've heard that word before, every time you see the word gospel, that word means good news. And it would be used in ancient culture, it would be used in those ancient times to declare that there is an announcement that something has taken place that has transformed history, that has changed the world, that has changed our lives. They would use it in a way that like if a battle was over or if there was a victory, gospel, announcement, declaration, good news, or if a new king had ascended the throne, a good king had ascended the throne, and they would say, good news, if there had been victory, gospel, good news. It's like good news, it's like when, when, when the cancer is gone, good news. Or, or, or like when, when a sentence is overturned. Or, or like when a rich uncle calls you up and says, you know what, I'm gonna pay off all of your debt, your student loans, your credit card debt, and your mortgage, I'm gonna pay for it. That's a good news call. Anybody would want that call today? Like that is a good news, good news call. Don't screen your calls. It could be, there, that could be the call. That the, the idea that our debt could be paid, that's a good news call. And so the word gospel shows up in the Bible, but if somebody was to ask you, what's the gospel? What's the definition of the gospel? What would you say? If you were walking down Broadway and somebody was just to come up and say, what's the gospel? I don't know what, what questions they're asking on Broadway these days, but if somebody asked you that question, if somebody said, what's the gospel, what do you think you would say? And here's the deal, if you don't have an answer for it, it's okay. I just want you to have one before you leave. I'm gonna give you a definition. What I believe is the clearest, most succinct definition of the gospel, of the good news message in our Bibles. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at it together, and I want to give you this, this definition. I want to point out this definition that's in a moment, but before we get to the definition, let's talk about the power of the gospel, because we, we understand the power of the gospel when we look at who is writing this letter. The book of 1 Corinthians is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and so it's a church that he helped start, and he's writing this letter back to them, and when we understand Paul's life, when we understand the transformation that happened, we see the power of the gospel. Because the, the apostle Paul, before he was an apostle, which means a, a leader, he, before he's a sent one, a leader in the early church, one of the primary leaders in the church, he was, he was against the movement of Jesus. He was essentially a terrorist. He killed Christians, he jailed believers, he ripped apart families, he broke up their gatherings, Paul devoted his life to destroy the church. But then he has an encounter with God that transforms his life. Look at verse nine in that chapter. He said, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. So Paul has an encounter with the grace of God, with the love of God, with the mercy of God. He has this encounter with Jesus, with the resurrected Christ. He has an encounter with Christ that transforms his life, where he turns from his sin, he turns from his old ways, and he begins to follow Jesus. And Paul devotes his life to, to letting other, the, the terrorist becomes an evangelist where he devotes his life to telling everybody about this good news message. It's such good news for him that he's no longer under the law, that it's no longer about him trying to earn God's love, but by God's grace, he enters into the family of God. He becomes a follower of Jesus and it completely turns his life upside down. And so if you ever wonder about the power of the gospel, if you ever wonder about the power of the good news, 
Just open up the New Testament because half of the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. He's like the OG, everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, anything's possible. And I believe God chose Paul as a trophy in his trophy case of grace so that you would know that there is nothing that you've done that could separate you from an opportunity to receive God's grace and his mercy, that you would be reconciled with God, that the good news would become good news for you. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. Now let's look at the content. Let's look at the definition of the gospel. And I believe this is the clearest, most succinct definition of the gospel. Chapter 15, verse 1. It says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, of the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. I mean, this is strong enough for you to take your stand on. It'll hold you up. And by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you've believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Here's the definition of the gospel. He's saying that Christ, Jesus Christ, died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and raised from the dead on the third day, according to the scriptures. The Paul said, this is the gospel. He's like, you gotta, you gotta get this, gotta understand it. It's first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead. Write it down. Tattoo it on your heart. Tattoo it on your mind. Tattoo it on your soul. Tattoo it on your lower back. Tattoo it somewhere and get, get it in us because we need to know. And Paul says, this is first importance. And here's what can happen. It's because this good news can become familiar because it's not new news, sometimes it can become of lesser importance. And when the gospel, when the good news is not first importance, that's when we lose our way. That's when we lose our seat. That's when we lose our sense of who we are and what we're called to do. That's when we realize that, that it's by God's grace and by his mercy and by his love that we've been forgiven. I don't know who your favorite preacher is, but I know the preacher that you listen to the most, and it's you. Because every day we're preaching some kind of gospel to ourselves. And I wanna encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself every single day, not just on Easter, not just on Christmas, but every single day we need to know this gospel. And here's why. It's because there's a seat. I want you to think about seat. It wasn't always bad news. Actually, it was good news in the beginning. When God created everything, he said, it is good. I mean, God was just making stuff and he's like, it's good, it's good, it's good. But then he makes mankind and he says, it is very good that we were made to be with God, that we were made to walk with God, that we were made to live in communion with him, in oneness with him. You were made by God, for God, to be with him, to enjoy relationship. We've got this space inside of our hearts that can only be filled with this relationship. But here's what happened. Humanity, mankind, sinned against God. We rebelled. We went our own way. We had our place, but because of sin, we were displaced which created this distance 
because God is a holy God and we've all sinned. And so he created this distance between this distance and sin makes a mess of things. I mean, all we gotta do is look around the world around us. We see the fallout and the collateral damage of sin. All we gotta do is look at the world around us and we see how sin affects our relationships and how sin affects our own hearts. And we got this sense of emptiness and lostness and hurt and pain of our decisions and our choices that have caused with us and has created this sense of distance or distance. We've lost our place. And the question of all humanity is how do we get back to that place? Like, how do we get back to that place with God? We've been displaced. How do we get back to that place of being with him? And so what's happened is that we, we go, well, how do I get there? Well, like, can I work enough? And can I, can I serve enough? And can I help enough? And can I give enough? And can I volunteer enough? Can I be good enough? Can I be smart enough? Philosophize enough? Be educated enough? How do I get back to that place? Be religious enough? How do I close this gap? If you go back and look at the Old Testament, you see the sacrificial system and that these, these priests provided sacrifice and they worked and they sweat and they worked so hard. And the question is, am I enough? Because of the sense that we fall short. Anybody ever feel like they fall short? Anybody ask the question, am I enough? It wasn't just the priests in the Old Testament that asked the question, are we enough? We asked the question, oh, have you ever felt like you're not enough? Trying to get back to that place. And God is not okay with the distance in the relationship. He's never been okay with the distance in the relationship. That's why he sent his son Jesus, because we've all sinned. Any sinners in the house, any of our campuses, any sin? Those of you that didn't raise your hand, lying is a sin, and so welcome to the club. And so we've all, oh, it says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin, what we get as a result of our sin is this, this death, this distance, this spiritual death, this distance from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So I'm getting ahead of myself. Because Jesus came, Jesus said it this way, he said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. So in other words, the reason Jesus came was an all-out rescue mission for you. And for me, because the father was never okay with the distance. You know what I didn't do? You know what I never did when I realized that Bolton was missing? I didn't look for an open seat, sit back, eat my cheeseburger and watch the game. Now, I, I, the cheeseburger was irrelevant. The game was irrelevant. I had one thing that I was concerned with, how do I find my boy? The father's heart is never okay with lost sons and daughters. And so he sent Jesus on this rescue mission. And what we see in the person of Jesus, we see that Jesus is constantly seeking people who thought they were a million miles away from God. And he, he said, here's a seat for you. Here's a seat at my table. He said, come up close. Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, the lepers, the people who thought there's no way they could get in on the kingdom of God. Jesus is like, I saved your seat. He has saved you a seat. In fact, Jesus gave his life so that you can have a seat, a seat at the table. Because you realize whenever you get free tickets, they weren't really free. Somebody had to pay for them. Like somebody had to pay the price for that seat. Somebody had to pay the price for those tickets. When it comes to a seat at the table with God, when it comes to a seat at the table with him, 
Somebody had to pay the price, and Jesus paid the price. He gave his life to pay for our sin debt. For all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our crimes, Jesus gave his life to pay in full. In fact, on the cross, one of the things he cried, he said seven, there were seven statements. It's hard, it's hard to speak when you can't breathe. Under immense suffering, Jesus on the cross, one of the things he said, he said, to telestai, which is the Greek word where, where we translate, it is finished. But another translation of that word is paid in full. It's an accounting term that would be used when, when, a, when a debt had been fully paid off and Jesus said, to tell us die, paid in full. The sacrificial system that had been going on for thousands of years, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice to pay for your sin debt, to pay for my sin debt, to tell us die, paid in full. Here's what that means. Here's why it's good news. Your seat has been paid for. It's been paid for. Jesus paid the price for you to have that seat, for you to be one with God. That's what happened on Friday. And then on Sunday, he rose from the dead, which we call it Good Friday now, but it wasn't Good Friday then. It felt like Bad Friday. But Bad Friday became Good Friday because of the resurrection. Because on the third day, Jesus got up and he walked out of the tomb. The stone was rolled away, not so that Jesus could get out, so that the world could see in, that he's not in here that Jesus is alive. And that's what we celebrate today. And here's the reason that the resurrection is such good news. Because the resurrection happened, we know that the cross took. We know that because the resurrection happened, we know that the sacrifice took, that the sacrifice was sufficient for our sin. And so we celebrate the resurrection. The cross, the burial, the resurrection, it's good news because it means that we have a place with God. Those of us who have been displaced, those of us who are lost in the stadium of life, that the Father has reconciled us through Jesus with him. You have a seat. And so Paul's telling the church at Corinth, this is really good news. And the church at Corinth is like, yeah, but how do we know? How do we know that it's true? How do we know that we can believe it? How do we know that we can trust in it? And then he says, you've got the, the scriptures, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the prophecies, you've got, got these promises that have been fulfilled about the life and the burial. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to Christ that have been fulfilled. But even more than that, you've got, you've got the eyewitnesses. He says, and, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that, at that same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And when he appeared, to, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of, all, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so they're like, how, Paul, how do we know that this is true? How do we know that we can trust it? Paul's like, you got all kind of evidence. Like you talk to Cephas, Peter, who was still alive when this meeting. Go talk to Peter. There are over 500 witnesses that saw the resurrected Christ, that saw Jesus alive. You can go talk to them. He said, you can go talk to James. James was Jesus' half-brother that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah during Jesus' ministry. How many of you would believe that your half-brother was the Messiah? Until you saw the resurrection. He saw the resurrected Christ, and then James became a leader in the church, laid his life down for the cause of Christ. He saw the resurrection. He said, go talk to James. There's an empty tomb. The promises, the prophecies, and Paul's going, that's not enough. Look at me. My life is proof that Jesus is alive and that he works miracles, that he's worked in my heart and in my life. 
And so even with all that proof, you still have a decision to make. Will you trust him? Will you trust in the gospel that it would become good news for you? Because you've got to make a choice. And you've demonstrated faith today whether you realize it or not. You demonstrated faith the moment you sat down in that seat. I don't know if you kind of inspected the chair, kind of looked around, looked underneath, saw where it was made. I don't know if you kind of kicked it a little bit to see. I don't know if you pushed on it to see. But you demonstrated faith. You demonstrated trust in that chair. You made a decision, whether it was conscious or subconscious, to go, you know what? That chair is going to hold me. And you put everything you had down in that chair. Even right, some of you get nervous right now. <laughs> but you, you made a decision, that chair will hold me. You demonstrated faith. Faith is trusting. Let me ask you a question. What are you trusting when it comes to your life, when it comes to being made right with God, when it comes to your eternity? What are you trusting? Because you're trusting something. Are you trusting good works? Are you trusting being religious? Are you trusting the faith of your parents or your grandparents? Are you trusting your life, your faith, in the good news. And the moment you sit down, <laughs> you rest in that good news, and you realize it's not by your works that you're saved, it's by grace through faith. There's another time where Paul's talking about the gospel and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he's writing to the Ephesians. Look at what he says, he says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying, the moment you put your trust in Jesus, it doesn't just make you alive here on earth. You live forever and there are eternal realities. There is a seat that is prepared for you and you become so identified with Christ that your life is in him. He makes you alive. How does that happen? By grace. Here's what that means. You can't earn it. You just have to receive it. I didn't ask for Bolton to pay for those tickets to that Braves game. All he had to say was yes. He just had to receive it. Some of you are wondering, well, what happened with Bolton? I was wondering the same thing. And so I, I mean, I moved as fast as I could to that guest services. I get there and I see Bolton. I was like, come, give me a big hug. We gave him a big hug. He was emotional. I was emotional. I was like, man, what, what happened? He said, dad, he said, they told me that that wasn't my seat. I said, what? He said, yeah. He said, I was sitting there and these two strangers came up and they said, you're in our seat. And I said, no, I'm not. These are our seats. I'm waiting for my dad. And they said, no, these are our seats. And I said, no. And so Bolton's arguing with these grown adults about those seats. They were good seats. He's arguing with these adults. And he's saying, no, he's not going to move. Those people went and got the usher. The usher came back and the usher told Bolton, you need to move because those aren't your seats. And Bolton said, no, they are my seats. I'm waiting for my dad. And that usher said, you need to go find your dad. To a 12-year-old boy, go find your dad. I walked with Bolton. I said, who told you those weren't your seats? <laughs> we walked down there to those seats, and I found those people who were confused. They were very confused. A little inebriated, but very confused. 
And I said, you're in our seats. And they said, no, these are our seats. I pulled out the ticket. I said, no, I paid for these seats. These are our seats. You need to move. They moved. We sat down. I said, all right, Bolton, who told you these weren't your seats? He pointed to that usher. I walked over to that usher, and I had a pastoral conversation. (laughs) I don't remember everything I said. I kind of blacked out a little bit. But one of the things I said is I said, do you realize you put the balance sheet of the entire Braves organization at risk? I don't know if that's true, but I did say it like in that moment. And I was just, I was, I was just, I was, I was not happy because that was my son. And in my imagination, I can imagine all the things that could have happened because this man was wrong. Because those, and I showed him the tickets and I said, I paid for those seats. Let me ask you a question. Who told you that's not your seat? Some of you are wandering around in the stadium of life because you've been listening to the voice of the enemy who's told you that's not your seat. God doesn't love you. Sure, he loves everybody else, but he doesn't love you. He doesn't want you. You screwed up too bad. You've you've committed the unforgivable sin. You failed and you're just gonna fail again. You're too far gone. You're fake. If everybody knew what you've done, they wouldn't love you. Things are never gonna change. Listen, that's not the voice of your father, that's the voice of the enemy. And some of us have been listening to the voice of the enemy and we've been ascribing it to the voice of our father. We've been listening to the lies and to the shame of the enemy and listen to other confused people when the invitation today, the father is saying, will you take your seat? Will you take your seat? Because the seat in the gospel and the good news means I am loved and you are loved and we are loved by God, not based on what we've done, but based on what Christ has done for us. Not based on how good we are, but based on how good Jesus is and that he has given us the righteousness of Christ. We have received the righteousness of Christ. That God loves you, the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. He doesn't have a JV kind of love. He's got a varsity love and he's loving you with everything he has based on what Christ has done. You can sit down and rest. Jesus said, come to me, you who are tired and weary and heavy laden, and I will teach you how to rest in me. I am humble and gentle in heart. You've been loaded down by religion. Jesus said, come to me. I want you to have relationship. He said, I want you to, I'm gonna fill you with my spirit so that your life can be changed. Not on you changing your life, but me changing me, giving you a new heart and changing you from the inside, a transformation like the apostle Paul had, you can begin to have in your life. But it's in resting in his grace. It still requires effort, but it's not us earning God's love. It's us resting in his love. That God wants to empower you. He wants to give you his strength to transform your life. But it begins by taking a seat. And here's what you need to know. When you take a seat, when you take a seat, God takes care of your past, the sin in your past, present, and future. That your future is good. God has a dream and a plan for you. He wants to transform you and make you more like Jesus. Can you imagine a world where people were more like Jesus? That's the kind of world that God does. That's the reason Jesus gave his life, so that we could become more like him. 
So my question is, have you, have you taken your seat? Some of you are justice people and you're wondering, what happened? What happened after that? What'd you do? Well, that night I wrote an email to the Atlanta Braves organization and I let them know what happened. And you know that picture that you saw of my entire family at the Braves game? Well, I got free tickets <laughs> for the entire family. We said that, that somebody has to pay the price. for Bolton paid the price for those tickets and our family benefited. Right. I want you to know today your seat's been paid for. Jesus paid for that seat so that you could be reconciled with God. Not by works, but by grace through faith. What do you have to do? You have to receive it. Easter 2023, three groups of people. The first are for those who are followers of Jesus. The question is, is the gospel first importance for you? Today, maybe your prayer is, God, would you give me the courage to share this good news? Would you give me the faith to preach it to myself every single day, to be reminded of this good news message and to live it, to become good news to those around me? Today, follows Jesus for the good news, the gospel come to the center, be of first importance. Second group are for those that maybe you made a decision to follow Jesus years ago, but over time you've drifted and you've wandered through the stadium of life. And today is the day you come back to your seat. You've been listening to the voice of the enemy and the voice of confused people. And God invites you today, come back and take your seat, rest in that relationship. Get back to that place of walking. Maybe you didn't lose your salvation, but you've lost your sense of peace. And you've lost your sense of purpose. And today, God is inviting you to recommit your life to following Jesus. And then a third group of people on a day like today realize that there are many and you've never said yes to trust Jesus. You've never put your faith in what Christ has done for you in his death on the cross that your sin has been paid for in full. You've never said yes to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been to church. Maybe you've been around other believers, but you've never made this faith your own. Maybe they're a faith that your parents and grandparents had, but today it becomes your own. Where you take your seat and you rest in what Christ has done for you. And today, if you've never made that decision before, I want to lead you in a prayer to say yes to Christ. It would be the most important prayer that you pray because it's in that moment that you become alive. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. So I want to lead you in that prayer. If you bow your heads and your hearts with me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can pray for those that this is their day, that God will give them the courage, the faith to make this their prayer pray something like this if you want this to be your prayer today you want to receive new life and he would take care of all of your sin and that you'd be made right with God and the emptiness in your life would be filled by him and pray something like this father thank you for loving me Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Just whisper that to him. 
Right now, I put my faith and my trust in you. I believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. I receive the good news. Thank you for saving me. I want to walk with you here on earth. Spend forever with you in heaven. If you prayed that prayer, would you just look up at me? All across the room. If you prayed that prayer, if that was your prayer, would you just look up? Would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? If you made that your prayer, just raise your hand. Right. Anybody else? That's me. Anybody else? Come in. Yeah. Father, I thank you for those that made that decision today. I pray that you would give them courage and strength to rest in you and to walk with you. God, that you would build their faith, that relationship with you, and that through their life, through their receiving good news, that they would become good news to those around them. And would you give them the courage to let somebody know? And then, God, I pray for those that are coming back to you today. Lord, that today would be, it'd be a homecoming. That they would know your embrace. And that reuniting with you, that the joy of their salvation would be restored. And that as a church as a community of faith, as followers of Jesus together, we would devote our lives that the world would know there is good news. And his name is Jesus. And he is still our good news. In Christ's name, amen.
Sing it over our city. 